good morning, everyone. Today is the second Sunday in Advent. Uh, note the Latin historical term for this Sunday is populus Zion, which simply means uh, people of Zion. Um, so if you were with us for the early service or watched that already, that concept of how God gathers his people together and gives them hope and peace and comfort, uh, we have great blessings that come to us. We are uh, continuing our study of Daniel uh, today. I want to make sure we finish up chapter 7. So we're going to begin by reading uh, chapter 7 and uh, diving into a little more of that detail. We'll see how far we get with that. So let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make ready the way of your only begotten Son, that by his coming we may be enabled to serve you with pure minds. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Okay, Daniel chapter 7, follow along in your B-I-B-L-E's or up on the screen. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, and we covered this uh, last week, uh, the Lutheran Study Bible has the date here for Belshazzar around 553 B.C., so remember that in chapter 6, we were dealing with uh, uh, Darius and Cyrus, and we talked about you know, who this king actually was. Chapter 7 now is kind of like uh, a flashback, if you will, in, in a movie. Um, Daniel is now uh, recounting a vision that he has been given. So keep in mind, first of all, that up till now, Daniel has been interpreting whose visions? The king's, not his own. And so now in chapter 7, uh, Daniel is recording a vision that he was given specifically. So that's completely different from the other visions that he interpreted. So the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream in visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And the four be great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off. It was lifted, lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh." After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth, it devoured and broke in pieces, and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold... There came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. So the four beasts here uh, that uh, Daniel sees, and we're not, as I mentioned last week, going to even attempt to really uh, try and explain which beast is which earthly kingdom. Same with the beginning of Daniel when we had the uh, statue of the man with the different parts and we talked about, um, you know, okay, here's the Egyptian, you know, empire, here's um, the Babylonian, here's Persian, here's Roman. Um, so the, the one thing we, we do know from scriptures that these 
um, are representing earthly kingdoms or powers. So uh, three of them basically uh, come to pass. Uh, the fourth one uh, devours or supersedes uh, all of the others. Okay? So the four beasts here are representing the earthly kingdoms of the world. Um, and in the midst of that, we also hear, um, let's see, where's the text? The four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Anytime you hear a concept of the sea uh, or the ocean, depending on your translation, the sea in Scripture always represents chaos and problems and evil. Uh, and so you have those that, that come out of the depths, uh, whether that would be uh, evil spirits or those that would seek to do evil. Um, and uh, in, in Revelation, actually, when we get into our study of Revelation, uh, which will come next, we're going to learn that in um, the new heaven and the new earth, there is no longer any sea. Well, does that mean that the new heaven and the new earth won't have any <laughs> oceans and seas? <laughs> you know, maybe it'll just be fresh water, no salt water. Um, uh, or it might be better understood that there will be no evil anymore in the new heaven and the new earth. Okay? So that's kind of fun when you look at some of the connections uh, of what Scripture speaks of. Okay? So you've got these uh, four beasts, uh, you've got the sea, and then we get into verse 9, and this is Daniel now, as I looked, um, and it's always good to reference what John sees in his vision of Revelation, uh, we can also go back uh, into um, uh, other parts of the Old Testament, you know, what Isaiah sees uh, in terms of the throne room, and there's a lot of similarities between these. So verse 9, as I looked, Daniel said, thrones were placed. So this is almost like a, a judgment seat, or maybe for us we might think of the nine seats of the Supreme Court, not that there's nine here in the text, but just this concept of those who've been given authority now are going to judge. The Ancient of Days took his seat, the clothing was white as snow, the hair of his head was like pure wool, his throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. And we talked last week as well, just kind of the connection with, uh, you know, fire is always symbolic of God's judgment, always, okay? Uh, so that's when we talk about hellfire and damnation, um, you know, we talk about the story of the rich man and Lazarus and the rich man has everything in this life, but he does not have faith, and he's in hell, it's hot, it's in torment. One of my sons asked me this last week, you know, is that really what hell's going to be like? I was like, pretty much. <laughs> That's what Scripture says. It's, it's going to be hot um, and fire, and fire is a sign of God's judgment. Um, a stream of fire, verse 10, issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, uh, yeah, the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. Okay? So you might, uh, you can relate that to, again, a courtroom, you know, law books. Although I would say this isn't necessarily in terms of the books being opened, this is an account of what's been done. Right? So scripture talks about that. There will be, and this, th where we're at now in Daniel 7 dovetails nicely with this time of the church year, with Advent, the start of the church year. Um, and, of course, just a few weeks ago, we ended the church year. Great connections with the end of days, judgment, end times, the coming of Jesus. Um, and, uh, you know, our life is, God already knows everything. But there will be a recounting of all of our deeds on judgment day. Okay? Um, and that might scare you. <laughs> I know every now and then it scares me. 
Um, but keep in mind, you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And as long as you have your wedding garment on, you're invited to the banquet. So Jesus now vouches for you. So even though, hey, everything will be laid bare, <laughs> you're not going to be judged according to your deeds, according to your record. Because if it was based, if judgment was based on your record, good luck. Correct? Um, and so thus Jesus now, and that's where Paul talks about this forensic term justification. It's so important to understand that, that we are declared righteous, innocent, innocent because of Christ, not because of, of, of what our books or our records actually show. We would never get in otherwise, okay? Um, and so a beautiful concept here. So Daniel is seen now, uh, you know, the judgment seat, if you will. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So Daniel is seen now um, what we might say is going on in heaven, you know, kind of right at this moment. And so one beast has been destroyed. The other three are left, you know, for a little while. Um, and so, you know, representing other kingdoms, perhaps. Um, there's a lot of varying scholarship um, on some of this. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit here about the one like a son of man who comes now with the clouds. And uh, let, let's get into that in verse 13. Daniel continues, I saw in the night visions... Behold, like the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all, A-L-L, peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Okay? So now we, we've heard of the one beast that has been, uh, what was the word? The beast was killed, its body destroyed, given over to be burned with fire. The rest of the beasts of the dominion was taken away. Lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Uh, but there will come a time where this son of man now will have a kingdom that's going to be completely different from these other uh, kingdoms, if you will. Okay, uh, And he's not referenced as a beast. He's referenced as a son of man. Now, that term son of man uh, is, 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 is kind of interesting. So the one like a son of man comes with the clouds. The clouds now are, if you will, are the chariot of God uh, associated with uh, heaven, uh, with the abode or the dwelling place of God. Uh, so now this son of man is going to bring with him in his kingdom the very presence of God himself. Okay, Dovetail that, early service people, with what we read and was preached on today, late service people wait for it and put it all together because it's, it's marvelous when you start to see some of this. This is in contrast now against the sea, the S-E-A that we talked about earlier. The sea now is the chaos and evil. The sea is also the origin of the beasts. So think of it this way, where do the beasts and the kingdoms come from? From below, chaos and evil. Where does the kingdom that lasts forever come from? From above, <laughs> okay? Now, there's been a lot of problems with Christians, um, you know, historically trying to establish, you know, the New Jerusalem, 
um, you know, or, you know, a peaceful kind of, whether it's a, a socialistic commune, that sort of thing, that can never be established by us nor on earth itself, according to Scripture. Okay, so that's a pipe dream, okay, to try and do that. You know, you think back to, um, oh, what's his name with the Kool-Aid in, in uh, Africa? Jim Jones, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, connection to Indianapolis, that's right. I learned that right after I got here. I, I hadn't known that uh, before. Um, and, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when there's an attempt to kind of create this, um, this peace and this kingdom here or to prepare for it, um, and, and, and Mormons still as well have this in their false teaching about the return of Christ, that he will return at a certain location, and thus there's even a uh, a Mormon. I don't know technically if it's called a temple, um, a worship site in a Kansas City that has a door that only opens from the roof, from the top. It's locked from the inside, and it's a door so that when Jesus returns, he can open the door and descend and establish his kingdom. Now the funny thing with the Mormons, I don't want to get too far off track here, is you've got the old Mormons and the new Mormons. The old Mormons were followers of Joseph Smith, the young Mormons followers of Brigham Young. And so the old Mormons established the site in Independence, Missouri, uh, with this uh, door that only opens from above. Um, Well, the young Mormons uh, did some recalculations and determined that it was actually going to be across the street on the other corner uh, where Jesus is going to return. Now, look this stuff up. It's kind of fun, um, you know, to study some of that. and, and, I, and I haven't dove into that much in the last 10 years, so if that's changed, let me know so I can correct anything that I tell you. Um, but again, it's all about trying to establish, you know, a, a kingdom, okay? Um, but we're told from the rest of Scripture that when Jesus does return, all of this is going to be destroyed. There is going to be, kind of like with, with Jerusalem, one stone left standing upon each other, okay? Which is why we don't have a temple anymore, Okay? All we have is, a, is part of the western wall, the outer wall. The temple itself, gone. Um, and uh, so, you know, Christ will create a new heaven and a new earth. Um, so lots of good stuff there when we talk about uh, the, the Son of Man. The last figure that takes place here, uh, or let's see, as for the rest of the beast, their dominion, their lives taken away. Um, so this last figure is human in appearance. This denotes a dignified status over against the uncivilized savagery of that which is symbolized by the beast. So the Son of Man, um, human form, which, again, you should immediately make connections and understand what that is. Okay? The authority, glory, and sovereign power given to the one like a Son of Man, as well as the worship now that he's going to receive from all the peoples, is reflected actually in Revelation 5. And we use a canonical actually uh, in uh, a church called Worthy is Christ. Go to Revelation 5 real quick in your Bibles. Worthy is Christ. Bum, bum, ba-da-dum, bum, bum. That's Revelation 5. And just listen here as I read this to you. So this, this is John. This is what John sees. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written with within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? 
And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, pay attention to our Advent series this year, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he'd taken the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe, language, people, and nation. Sound familiar? So who, who, who is this, this lamb going to have dominion over and rescue? All. Okay. You've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, and here we go, Worthy is the lamb who is slain, to receive power and honor, I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> Handel's Messiah, uh, receive uh, um, power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. <laughs> That's interesting. So who does he have dominion over? All powers above and below and all that is in them as well, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Okay? So great connections there. I don't want to spoil too much of Revelation before uh, we get into it later. Uh, but this uh, concept that the Son of Man now, of course, is the Christ, is the Lamb, and he is the one that is, is worthy. Okay? Uh, it's commonly asserted in some critical circles that the one like a son of man is actually not Jesus, which flies in the face of what we've looked at already. Okay? Uh, some people would say that this uh, son of man um, represents um, uh, people <laughs> or the saints. Um, to be fair, because of what the definite article son of man does and the way you and I are connected to him, yes, but again, it starts with him from above to us, not from below that way. So some people twist uh, Scripture in that regards as well. Okay? So the kingdom and dominion now of this Son of Man and thus his saints, those that are robed with his righteousness and baptism, those whose names are written down in an actual book called the Book of Life. So I have a friend out there, I don't know if he's watching, uh, but... Uh, he has had a, a challenging decision of whether to baptize uh, his child or not. And uh, dear friend, here's a good reason to baptize your child. Because your name is written down, their name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Why would you not want that? Have that assurance. Baptism does that. Okay? That's a great gift. Okay? All right. I'm smiling. I love you. Okay. Okay. Um, let's go on just a little bit here. So we're back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 15, and a few more things we'll get into, but let's finish up 7. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Well, yeah. 
So, so th- this is not just a regular, you know, dream. I had a dream last night that um, I had forgotten to upload the Sunday school video and send it uh, to our uh, online Sunday school teacher, and I did that on like Tuesday. <laughs> but for whatever reason, I got to church this morning. The first thing I did was flip open my laptop. How did I forget to upload this video to YouTube? And I'm, and I I get onto YouTube. I was like. I uploaded that on Tuesday. What in the world is going on? You ever had a dream like that that you think is just, it's so real, and it affects your actual reality in the morning? Okay. Now, to be fair, I hadn't had my two cups of coffee yet, so maybe that was why. Always have your coffee first. Then you can think. So, But, um, yeah, so this, this really troubled uh, Daniel. And this is a big deal because this, this is not just a dream like I had about uploading a Sunday school video. He actually sees, okay, I guess we could use the word transported. I mean, he's there kind of like with John, uh, and he sees all this. God gives this to him, and we, we, we can't really explain that. Um, it's, 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 it's mysterious. It's sacramental. <laughs> we, we can't explain it. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious. The visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there. Now, John does the same thing, remember, in Revelation. You know, who are these coming out of the great tribulation? You know, you know. (laughs) Well, you should. Okay. Um, So, and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. And here we go. Here's the interpretation given to Daniel in his dream. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, right? Peter Pants moment. And which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head... And the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancients of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time times, and half a time. Okay, and I'm going to stop right there because if you get in and study some of the interpretation of Scripture historically, you'll always see people that will look at, for example, Adolf Hitler, the Nazi party. Perhaps they're this kingdom that has done that. Okay, Or I remember when I was in grade school, um, you know, we had uh, uh, Omar Gaddafi, right? Uh, you know, and then you end up getting, you got Saddam Hussein, um, or now, now, now perhaps you've got uh, China, okay? Uh, or even in the 80s as well, it was Russia, 
right? So the whole, the whole I'm sorry, the Soviet Union, the so USSR, right? Unless you've got, uh, you know, Rocky and uh, Ivan Drago going toe-to-toe and uh, Rocky Four, which has to be one of the best Rocky movies if you're a child of the 80s, but anyway. Um, okay, so, you know, re- I guess my point is that we always want to look at this and say, okay, oh, yeah, I, I know what this is apply, you know, uh, ap- applicable to, um, and, yeah, maybe not. Maybe so, okay, uh, because uh, as the interpretation is given, you notice there, there's no name with it. And that's what I said when you try and do the interpretation of who these kingdoms are, who these people are, uh, and there's some, some, you know, churches, notice I didn't say Christians, that have tried to interpret these things. So Jehovah's Witnesses with their, their whole watchtower thing of trying to predict the return of Christ. Uh, Mormons have fallen a little bit into that. Um, the Seventh-day Adventists used to be really big about that. Uh, they actually, as a church body, now confess the Trinity, which they didn't used to. So, you know, and there's still some debate on, you know, are they Christian or not, based on what they've stated, yes. Uh, and, of course, there can still be Christians even that are actually are in a Mormon church or even Jehovah's Witness. Why? Because they hear Scripture, they read it, and they come to faith. Okay, so when we talk about that, we recognize that seeds are still planted, but of course we can't have everything to do organization-wise. It's contrary to Scripture. Um, so the Lord knows, you know, and he continues to desire to give and bring faith. Um, uh, verse 26, The court shall sit in judgment, his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. Um, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. So here, what can you point to in the catechism, one of the chief parts that would back this up? Pretty simple question. Come on, confessional Lutherans. Let me read it again. The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. When does Jesus talk about the kingdom? And he says to the apostles, it's one of the chief parts. Behold, I give you, you guys are going to slap yourself in the head for this, and you probably should. Behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever sins, very good. Whatever sins you forgive on earth are forgiven, are are loosed on earth, are loosed in heaven. Whatever sins you bind on earth are bound in heaven. So, uh, to the church, of course, to be exercised by the custodians, to be carried, the keys by the pastors, uh, the keys now uh, to heaven, to loose and to bind. So, thus we've got... The office of the keys, or confession and absolution. Okay, so we know as well that uh, all of us have been made priests. That's why we do not use the title of priest for pastors, because we're part of the priesthood, if you will, of of all believers. And the holy and good works that we do are the vocations that He has given us, and the good works for our neighbor. Um, all of those things. And yet Christ has established now the office of pastor within the church. Uh, And so we are now made one with Christ. Thus there is one body. And that's why Paul talks about the church as the body of Christ. Christ is the head. All right? And we're all different parts of it. Okay? 
Sometimes I feel like I'm a hanging fingernail, okay? Um, or sometimes you might feel like a sharp elbow, <laughs> you know, or a creaky knee <laughs> or whatever. But we're all part of the body of Christ. We have different functions um, in our vocations and what God has called and given us to do. But we're, we're all part of that together. Okay, any questions on that? Okay, so, so some great imagery here referencing really what we would refer to as the church, capital C, uh, that we have been made part of. Okay, uh, verse 28, uh, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Why do you think this bothered Daniel so much? And there was some gospel there, wasn't there? Why do you think this bothered Daniel so much? It's a lot of death. I mean, you know, there's a lot of powers and forces that are out of his control. Um, Have you ever, when reading through Scripture, felt like a very small fish in a really big pond? (laughs) Okay. And when we talk about just the majesty um, of God, and I think even as you hear in Scripture, you know, of the of the of the the, the power that is not greater than Christ or God, but the power and ability perhaps possessed by the devil and evil spirits. Um, you know, we're told in Scripture he's smarter than we are. The devil is. Um, that's why we're simply called not to have any dealings with him, right? Uh, not to have anything to do with him, um, lest we, you know, be, uh, you know, succumb or be taken in. Uh, but the Lord also promises that uh, that He will hold us firmly in His hand and protect us. Um, okay, so so Daniel is 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 troubled now uh, in the midst of all this. Okay, now I want to do a little bit of a word study here on Son of Man, if if I can. Because I think that's where using the rest of Scripture, um, as we kind of think about this and we think about the challenges in our world, you know, perhaps we have some fear, some foreboding. Do you know what happened this last week on the moon? China planted a flag on the moon. Okay, good for them. But to others, they might say, uh-oh, they're, they're getting more powerful Okay, and our way of life, you know, or as Americans, you know, we've got another USSR situation brew. I mean, Russia's still there, of course, doing their Russia thing from time to time, but uh, that's this life. So we talk about the Son of Man. Let's do this. Let's open up our Bibles and let's go to some passages, okay, um, that use the term Son of Man. And we're going to look up these references, okay? And we want to see what these passages tell us uh, about the Son of Man, characteristics, insight, that sort of thing. And let's start with Matthew 8, verse 20. Uh, Let's get that up on the board. Matthew 8, verse 20. Because this really, in the midst of it... um, and I think Daniel being troubled, one, Daniel's still human. Daniel is, is, is not God. You know, we see Jeremiah is called the lamenting prophet or the whining prophet. Uh, you know, we, you, know you, you got Peter, 
who spends all this time with Jesus and yet, you know, denies him and, you know, takes up a sword and that sort of thing. So the prophets, as great as they were, were still sinful human beings, okay? So um, I personally think that Daniel is is troubled uh, because even though this is given to him and his job now is to write it down and thus give it to us, doesn't mean that he necessarily understands everything, okay? So I think we have to be careful putting the prophets and the apostles kind of up on, you know, this you-can't-touch-me pedestal uh, that they were so much better, you know, in, in, in faith or that they never had worries, you know, of their own uh, or, or that they always understood everything, okay? Um, and so I think that, that humility, uh, yes, <laughs> each of us is going to be afraid and unable to understand. Okay, so uh, Matthew 8, verse 20 Uh, Let's read it real quick. So Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What does this tell us about the Son of Man? Can you think of one word to describe what 820 tells us characteristic of the Son of Man? Uh, Is homeless? Homeless might be a word. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, uh, Homeless. Um, Yeah? Humble, okay, human, but obviously not, you know, fixated on, you know, possessions or that Jesus' treasure, Jesus' home is, yeah, I think homeless might be a good one. I didn't have that one down. I had humble written down. I was taking more broad stroke with my brush, but I like that. Homeless in terms of earthly homeless, right? Is that fair? Okay, let's move on to the next one. Matthew 12, verse 40. Matthew 12, verse 40. Son of man. And this again, this is kind of how we do Bible studies. Okay, so we've got son of man. What does that mean? What does that, what does that represent for us? So 12, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. And keep in mind, these are red letter words. I don't know if you guys can see that watching us at home on the screen. This is Jesus speaking. So some people would say, well, the story of Jonah, that's not a real story. (laughs) And I would say, take it up with Jesus, because Jesus references it. It's real. It happened. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay, what does this tell us about the Son of Man? He's going to die, okay? He, he's he's, he's going to die. He's going to be swallowed up okay, by death. So we might say this is now a passion prediction um, that the Son of Man, um, you know, will die, okay? So this, this is why it's so important we talk about the two natures of Christ, right? And the reason He has to be human so that He can die, that his body can be buried in the ground. Did God the Father die on the cross for you? No. Did God the Holy Spirit die on the cross for you? No. God the Son did. Okay? All right? Uh, Let's go to uh, Matthew 13, verse 37. Matthew 13, verse 37. So these are all references to the Son of Man. So now we can look at all of Scripture here to help understand more of what this reference in Daniel is. So 13 verse 37, he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. 
right? So we got to get this uh, parable here in, in some respects of the, of, 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 of the farmer, of the sower. Uh, so the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Okay? So context-wise, you can kind of gloss the rest of it. What do we learn about the son of man? What's part of his nature, characteristic? What will he do? What's that? Yeah, there's going to be some. There's going to be some planting. Um, there's going to be a sowing of seed um, for for the purpose of you know of, of a harvest, uh, if you will. And so uh, this now you know reveals you know God. So Jesus is the sower of the seed. Thus, also divinity. He is God. Okay. Anything else on that one? Let's go to Matthew 16, verse 28. 16, verse 28. And Matthew 16, verse 28 is, Truly I say to you, Jesus said, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Okay? And Jesus here, of course, uh, you know, we would say is, is talking about eternal death, not necessarily uh, physical uh, death. Of course, everyone who, you know, was there at the time of Jesus is dead. Uh, it's kind of like in the passage today, if you look up in our readings, where Jesus talks about this generation will not pass away. Uh, and most conservative scholars would say this is actually talking about unbelievers, that their eternal death will not take place until that judgment day, okay? Um, and and I don't go too far with that because you can you can jump into what we would call uh, the um, purgatory <laughs> gray area. We're not going there, folks, okay? Uh, but the uh, you know eternal judgment, which we would say would be the separation of the sheep and goats, okay? Uh, this has caused a, a lot of scholarship, and I think somebody's going to email me this week. Uh, truly, I say to you, there are some saying you will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in this kingdom. But, but let's just focus on this. What, is this. what does this teach us about the, uh, about the Son of Man? He has the kingdom, and when his kingdom comes, there are going to be eternal ramifications. Okay, so the Son of Man has been given such authority that when His kingdom is truly ushered in, there will be big changes. Okay, now, early service people, let your mind work through a little bit of what we heard this morning. Late service people, again, just kind of put some of this together because it's, it's both a now and a not yet as well. Okay? Which is, we don't handle paradox as well, but Scripture's full of paradox. Would this have been a reference to transfiguration? I, yeah, yes. I, I think this reference here, um, you know, is the return of Christ. Um, Judgment Day would be the main thing, 
Um, you know, transfiguration is almost like... Remember the Wizard of Oz where the curtain is pulled back and you see the wizard? <laughs> okay. Hope I didn't spoil that movie for anybody. You've all seen it, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, at the transfiguration... It's kind of like the curtain is pulled back on Jesus and he's revealed in his glory, right, uh, to the disciples. And he's standing there with, with Elijah and Moses. So, yes, it's certainly pointing to his kingdom. Um, and paradoxically, but, I mean, I think this verse is really pointing towards the last day when he's going to come and everybody's going to see it, which is what we're also told from Daniel. Okay, we've only got a few minutes, so let's do a few more passages here real quick. Okay, um, let's see, what, what one did we just do? We did, sorry, I got a whole list of them here. Um, we did, okay, go to, uh, let's just jump up a little bit. Let's go to Luke 6, verse 5. Did we do any Mark ones yet? Okay, I got a whole list of them here. Uh, we'll just, we've only got four minutes left, so let's just, let me get a couple more here. I was trying to get the, the synoptic Gospels as well as a, a John. What did I say, Luke? 6 verse 5. Okay, 6 verse 5, on another Sabbath day, he entered the synagogue. He was teaching, that's not right. Oh, oh, thank you. And he said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So we would just simply say divine authority, who has control over Sabbath, Sabbath is rest. And it's to be understood as eternal rest. Let's go to Luke 12, verse 40. And here Linda's another references to his second coming. You also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Okay. Uh, let's go to Luke 19, verse 10. Uh, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So this tells us, you know, um, if, if you're one of these... Uh, you know, what do they call these things? I don't think we have one as a church, and I'm not sure I'm ever going to write one. A mission <laughs> a mission statement. You know, I mean, the, 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 there's kind of fads for that thing. But, you know, so this is kind of Jesus' mission statement, if you will. You could slap me for saying that if you want. But he came to seek and save the lost. It's part of his purpose. Okay. Um, John 1, verse 51. We're just going to go through these real quick, and we'll finish up with this. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, and remember, truly means amen. That's literally the word in Greek. So anytime you see amen and amen, you know, pay attention. I mean, one amen is a big deal. When you see two of them, it's a big deal, bigger deal. <laughs> so I always say amen and amen and amen is how I always say it. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here we've got the angels uh, that's reference in Daniel's vision. That's reference in the rest of Scripture. Um, and uh, let's see, let's go to John 6, verse 62. Okay, uh, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But obviously there are some of you who not uh, not believe. Okay, uh, so this is uh, you know equality with God. So Jesus sits here uh, within the judgment seat, has been given power and authority. And let's do one, uh, one more real quick. Go to John 12, and we'll look first at 23. Okay. Um, 
So Jesus answered to uh, Andrew and Philip, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay, so now there's, there's, uh, there's glory here uh, that is going to be given to him. Go to 12 verse 32. And I, Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This is actually the verse that was uh, on the front of uh, the church and the school, uh, our sister church and school where we lived in Hastings. Uh, and it's a great verse. When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw people to myself. So this is, this is all about Jesus, yes, being lifted up in the crucifixion, but also his ascension. Because what then is going to happen after the ascension? He's going to what? Return. Okay? And, and what will happen to you when Jesus returns? You will be lifted up. Okay? And even if your body is still here and your soul is at rest, what will happen to your body? Whatever remains of it. It will be lifted up. And it'll be caught up together in the clouds with Jesus. Okay? It'll be a resurrection of all flesh, both believer and unbeliever, actually. Of all people. Let's go to John 12, 34. Okay, there it is right there. So the, uh, okay. uh, so the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. Does that sound familiar to Daniel? The Christ is, has a kingdom that's going to last forever, the Son of Man. It's not going to be like the other kingdoms and the beasts that have only been for a time or been conquered. His is going to last forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And let's just, can I just finish this? Because it's pretty good. Okay, so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And I'm going to stop there because I think that this is a good place to stop when we talk about Daniel (laughs) and his faith which now becomes a beacon and a light in the midst of this very dark captivity. Okay? Uh, and Daniel not knowing what's going to take place, but all the while trusting that God's going to provide for him, uh, which is your assurance as well. Okay? Next week, uh, we get to talk about the ram and the goat, uh, a pickup truck, and a really fast sports car. Oh, Pastor Grady's not here. Oh, well. <laughs> He's got a Dodge Ram. It's not a Dodge Ram pickup, and it's not a GTO. It's, it's, I'll explain next week. Okay, let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Good to see you today. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.